Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And it's time to look at the Texans roster cut down with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. And Sean, I, I know this last few days, is, it's got to be crazy over at the Texans office. Yeah, it was nuts. It was crazy everywhere for anybody trying to follow this team and the moves that they were making. Um, you know, I put out a projection a few days ago, what I thought the roster was going to look like. And I have to say, I felt like Mel Kuyper at the end of the day uh, for having his mock draft 1.0 to 10.5, whatever he does, just blown up in the face. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, there weren't too many surprises uh, in terms of the cutdowns. But uh, it was a was a crazy kind of a fun last uh, 24, 48 hours for sure. Was the most surprising cut Marlon Mack or was that even – a surprise to anybody that covers the team. No, you know, I think the last time that you and I talked, I told you that I wouldn't be surprised if Mac uh, was cut and I, I really wouldn't have been. And I wasn't. Um, and the only reason why I, I said that is because, and I didn't really take into account because I actually included him on my 53 man roster. I said, at the end of the day, you know what? Like he showed enough juice um, and uh, he looked healthy enough and was there every day. He was not injured during camp. And that's exactly the kind of thing, at least bare minimum, you want to see for a guy uh, who was limited to just 28 carries last season with the Colts coming off a ruptured Achilles, the surgery, the whole bit. He looked good, um, but not great. Didn't separate himself. And I thought maybe the Texans just simply decided like, you know what? Pierce is a guy and Rex Burkhead can be a serviceable backup. He brings value to special teams, and they're going to get that veteran presence from Rex in the running back room. And it still appears to be the case, but they bring Mac back on the practice squad, um, and I'm glad that they were able to do that because you can never have uh, enough depth, especially at the running back position, especially with the way that I think the Texans are planning on utilizing Damian Pierce, which may not be too dissimilar from the way uh, the Florida Gators did. Just by that, I mean, he's not going to be a bell cow. I think the Texans are going to be uh, creative. I think they're going to look to get a number of different running backs involved in the scheme this year. And so it remains to be seen, um, you know, how much or how little we'll see uh, from Marlon Mack. But he does bring value to a team if he's healthy. couple things. One thing is you don't need to be paying Marlon Mack the kind of money that he was making to be second or third string, I think that probably plays a little bit into it, the accounting of it. You can get somebody cheaper. Number two, uh, Damian Pierce, you talk about you don't want to make him the bell cow. There's no reason to wear a ton of tread off the tire if you don't think this is a Super Bowl caliber team. You want to, you know, make sure because these running backs, they've got a short lifespan. You know, it's you, you want to make the most out of the when, when, when the Texans are finally at that point of playoffs or, or, or postseason. That's a really good point that you make. And um it's almost a little depressing at the same time because, you know, the Texans haven't exactly had an embarrassment of riches in the running back room the last few years. In fact, I think their last 1000 yard rusher was Carlos Hyde and that's been a few years. And so coming off of a four win season um, and just really this roller coaster that this organization has unfortunately been on over the course of the past three plus years, to find a diamond in the rough. And that's what I'll call him for all intents and purposes. I mean, I know there was a lot of fans of Damian Pierce uh, when he was at Florida, came from a, a great running back tutelage and pedigree there. 
Um, a lot of people were not surprised at all to see him look the way that he did in the preseason, though for a guy that doesn't watch a lot of Florida Gator football, just a smidge, uh, and only because my brother-in-law is a massive Gator fan for some reason, um, you know, I knew who he was, and I appreciated his game. Um, and I love the fact that he was rarely used. Uh, maybe rarely is a bit too strong, but, uh, you know, not used to his full capabilities at Florida. I will say that. Um, to be in the state of, you know, the way to for this organization to be in the state that they're in right now, which is not a real division contender, a real uh, Super Bowl contender, a team that's not even expected to make much noise within their division, never mind the playoffs. It's kind of depressing when you think about finding a talent like you had with Damian Pierce. But, you know, the running back life in the NFL, whatever the average is, if it's 3.4, 4.3 years, the Texans are turning a corner. They are, I think, on the right street in the correct zip code to getting back to a level of respectability and success. And so I think we should be excited about Pierce and what he can do for the team this year. Former second-round picks Max Sharping and Ross Blacklock both out. Sharping released. Blacklock used to flip a seventh-round pick into a sixth-round pick in a deal, one of six or four six-round picks that Casario has for next year. With Sharping and Blacklock gone, Sean, I'm going to read off a list of the Texans' draft picks still on the roster prior to Casario's last two drafts. Charlie Heck, Jonathan Grenard, and Titus Howard. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta love it well um you said pre nick casario drafts correct yeah. i guess you could technically add a fourth to that since the texans picked up uh jordan aiken uh and made him a member of the practice squad now <laughs> jordan Aikens is on the pre- and yeah. you know uh and it's all due respect to john weeks and kaimi fairbairn who are undrafted free agents so those guys are still hanging around from past regimes but the draft picks if we started going through the draft picks I would depress us too much. So let's let's go on because there's there's positives and stuff like that. And really, the only two Texans draft picks worth anything that are considered pretty relevant in the NFL. So it's not like I'm going to list you a bunch of guys that are now relevant. But both of those guys are suspended to start the season and Deshaun and DeAndre Hopkins. And that's that's really the only guys I would, you know, maybe Justin Reed's still relevant, I guess, or Dwayne Brown, if he's still hanging on. But I, I don't know who else is like really relevant amongst the guys that they have let go or or. or traded away i think those guys are very much relevant and we would welcome all of them with open arms uh regardless of the situation or the state of the franchise and in in uh you know uh, deandre hopkins case who enters the year uh suspended i think for the first six games i want to say um and who's the other one that's suspended to start the season the other former texan oh it's this uh deshaun watson guy uh you ever heard of oh him? yeah and i i was really that was a real question Deshaun Watson, like that's not even, <laughs> he is so far out of sight, out of mind, to be honest with you. And maybe it's just because I have just been nauseated with having to write about him and talk about him over the course of the last two years. But um, that was a real question. Uh, but of course, yeah, it's Deshaun. Um, okay. Everybody besides Deshaun at this point in time, I think we would welcome with open arms uh, and maybe even Deshaun. I don't know, but uh, I'm glad uh, really I am really glad that the organization has been able to kind of move on from that, the whole Deshaun Watson thing. The vibe around the building on a practice field, it is about football. 
and that's the best news, you know, um, really. Nobody nobody appreciates the fact that the Texans are where they are and, you know, covering this team, talking about this team, watching this team as a fan, uh, whatever the case may be over the course of the last couple of three years. Um, look, they've, they've lost a lot of fanfare and uh, they are still the butt of a lot of jokes and they still have yet to win a lot of fans back. And maybe some of them they never will um, for whatever reason. Um, but at the end of the day, look, when you resemble an NFL franchise and you start carrying yourself uh, with the level of respect that you think you should command, which is what I think the Texans uh, have begun to do. And Nick Casario and Lovey Smith has been an incredible, incredible uh, big time piece in doing that. Um, not to mention the players on this team, to be quite honest with you, because they have a really good mix of veteran players and young players that. Um, have excited fans, uh, but also, too, in the case of the veterans um, that are widely respected around the NFL, not just here uh, in the locker room or in the city or just by the media, but just uh, around the league in general. Yeah, okay, let's let's go to the, one of the position groups that they've got to figure out a little bit. They pick up wide receiver Tyler Johnson off waivers from Tampa, former fifth-round pick out of Minnesota in his third season now, style of play, maybe – a poor man's Nico Collins, from what I've read about him, not explosive speed, but he can win footballs in traffic. And Sean, when Casario described him, he kept using the word decent a lot. He's decent at this and decent at that. It wasn't inspiring. <laughs> you know, I, you're not the only one that caught that. I felt kind of weird listening to that, um, you know, at the press conference uh, today. And I, I don't really know how to take that, like, because – when I found out the Texans, you know, were going to be able to nab him as they were third in line on the waiver wire, I was excited because this is a guy who has an interesting history. You know, he he's another, you know, really good wide receiver, about typical size uh, weight uh, for your uh, NFL receiver, but he's a big body. He can get separation. He knows how to get open. He's got good hands. Um, and that's just from watching a little bit of film. Uh, over the course of the last, um, what is it, five, six hours uh, that I've been able to waiting at the press conference and getting home and hurrying up and watching some stuff. I like what I see. I thought it was kind of interesting by Casario uh, for two reasons. One, using the word decent a handful of times as he did to describe Tyler Johnson, very uncharacteristic of Nick Casario to even talk about specifics with a player so that was number one I mean just describing players it's something he doesn't do a whole lot of he is a master deflector of all questions and we saw and heard that again today in his press conference but Belichickian call it Belichickian Belichickian yeah if you want to um 100 you know who taught who uh you know that's because he seems like the master to be quite honest with you just He's like the little wind-up doll, and you wind him up and you send him into the room, and he's just going to go 90 to nothing and give you a whole bunch of nothing. Uh, but today I thought was really good. I mean, he had some good thoughts on Jerry Hughes, good thoughts on Troy Hairston, and when he got to Tyler Johnson and talking about him, uh, I was really impressed, um, you know, that he went as far as he did, questionable, you know, about using the term decent, because what I've seen from Hairston, a guy who was catching passes – I think caught about 63 of them or something like that last year from Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, you know, looks like he could help this football team. They need somebody else to compliment Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks. You needed a real third weapon with the hopes that Nico's going to be your number two. And that remains to be seen, to be quite honest with you. But I, 
I think um, when you're at the stage that the Houston Texans are right now, in terms of evaluating talent and what's at their disposal. Never mind, they were third on the waiver wire, Robert. So I think, you know, we should pay a little bit more attention to that, understand that. Like they were privy to some of the better players cut for various reasons out there. And Tyler Johnson, I think, could very well become a diamond in the rough for a team like the Texans. Yeah. And just a reminder, it's not over with. And we're talking, me and Sean, eight o'clock on a Wednesday night. And maybe by the time you hear this, there's going to be another guy or two that is going to be shuffled around. But uh, I, I did want to ask you, Sean, which position group concerns you the most? And I'm going to say the tight end group, because even though running back and wide receiver feel a little thin, at least there's a huge ceiling for the top end players like Pierce, Nico, and Brandon Cooks. I mean, the tight end group, not a huge ceiling right now. And Brevin Jordan was just dropping passes. That's mostly what I noticed from him in the preseason. Yeah, Um I, I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. I, I don't know if I was to power rank them, if I would put the tight end group uh, atop my list for position groups that I'm most concerned about. I, you know, I, I'll just be a little bit selfish here, and I don't consider myself a master evaluator of talent by any stretch, but the safety group looks 50% different than I thought it was going to look like um, at the end of camp. Obviously, Petrie. Uh, and Jonathan Owens, who Owens in particular, making his first 53-man roster in his career after being a career practice squad guy and cut multiple times by teams, latches on with the Texans. And um, maybe that feels like a little too good to be true. And you look at, you kind of side-eye that one since, you know, um, he's uh, is he engaged now to uh, Simone Biles. I, 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 yeah, I was about that. to say his fiance Simone Biles. Was How much a, pull did she have? Was a, she was a guest on this podcast eight years ago, two years before she won a couple, uh, more than a couple gold medals in 2016. So we 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 got her before uh, she was a big deal, and she got him before he was a big deal because he started to be a big deal. And the work ethic is what I hear about Jonathan Owens, and it sounds like that's something that just runs in the family. And I imagine if either one of those two let go of the rope a little bit, they hear it from the other one. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I think you need to get Jonathan Owens on this podcast immediately uh, because it's a good omen uh, for him to have a uh, a good and healthy 2022 for the Texans. But I, I obviously saw Petrie and Owens making it. I really thought, um, you know, uh, Terrence Brooks was going to be on this squad. Um, I, I thought he performed really well and brought versatility and a, and a veteran presence at the safety position. I thought it was somebody that um Jalen Petrie could have learned a thing or two from um he was highly touted as a special teams player um and looked pretty good this preseason uh Grayland Arnold Tavier Thomas you know were a couple interesting guys um you know I think Tavier Thomas is on the short 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 term IR to start the season that means they can bring him back uh and in week five at the earliest um but he's going to be out for sure for at least four games. I think it's with a quad injury. Yeah, they were debating back and forth is what I hear on whether they were going to do that or not because it sounds like it's it's a lot better of an injury than they originally thought it was going to be. Yeah, and unfortunately for him, because I thought he had a, a really, really strong camp and preseason, I was surprised, uh, quite honestly, to see that Eric Murray made this team. He didn't really do anything. Um, you know, flashy, special in my mind, uh, this camp in this preseason, and he would have been fairly inexpensive to cut loose. Would have just cost the Texans about six hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, and 
Uh, that was money they decided not to uh, spend at that point in time. But maybe they thought, you know, look, once Tavier comes back, you know, he supplies a little depth. He's a versatile guy. Grayland Arnold, similar. Um, you know, they bring him back to the bring him back to the practice squad. Terrence Brooks, I believe, has made it back as well. Um, so they're really not as shorthanded as initially thought once they made the cuts. So I guess that is encouraging because I thought all of those guys, with the exception of Eric Murray and Tristan McCollum, separated themselves this camp and looked like they could be contributors in a secondary that I think should have high expectations, to be quite honest with you. It's something that Lovey Smith uh, takes pride in. Uh, but understands that it does start with a heck of a pass rush. And what the Texans have shown this preseason, Robert, has been remarkable. I mean, they're near the top, if not at the top, of numerous categories defensively in terms of disrupting the quarterback in the run game this preseason. It'd be interesting to see what that carryover is into the regular season. Chris Conley was a surprise cut, but then it looks like they're bringing him back. Is that right? I haven't seen anything official on that. That was uh, certainly the uh, expectation. Um, you know, I would imagine that he's probably entertaining a couple of other offers um, just based on his performance this preseason. Again, you know, maybe he didn't do enough <clears throat> to truly separate himself. And maybe the Texans found it um, that it's worth the roll of the dice um, to cut him and see if he clears waivers. Um, and maybe the Texans can improve that way. But the receiving room is still something, obviously, with uh, many question marks could use as much depth as possible. Uh, they brought Johnny Johnson to third back uh, on the practice squad, I do believe, and um, Drew Estrada. So in terms of like numbers, yeah, they have depth there. But in terms of actual quality guys, big body guys, guys that can go up and get a pass, um, you know, get get separation, get open, something that we can't really say about a whole lot of guys outside of maybe Nico Collins, but certainly Brandon Cooks. I think Tyler Johnson brings that to you. Um, you know, Conley's a very smart, um, good football player, but is he good enough to, to make Davis Mills, to help Davis Mills rather take that next step? I don't know. Before we get to a little Kenyon Green conversation, let me just ask our listeners to comment on our shows on YouTube. Great way to support us and follow us on TikTok. I'm posting regular one to two minute videos at Houston Sports Talk. Robert, the Robert rants. You're going to want to see those. A uh, little short, easy way if you're at work to to listen to what what I got going on in my head. And is anybody excited about our new weekly fantasy football guest, Andy Rio? Because he is just a fountain of information, a mix of fantasy discussion with general NFL conversations. So definitely a little Texans thrown in there too. And and speaking of that, Sean, what's the latest on Kenyon Green? Will he start week one? Should he start? Um, check out sportsradio610.com. I just uh, put an article out uh, this Wednesday evening uh, on Kenyon Green, Nick Casario's thoughts, and what I think is going to happen with Kenyon Green. So uh, you can find all my work at sportsradio610.com uh, and, of course, on Twitter at sportsradio or at Sean Bajani, rather, uh, at sportsradio610, too, if you want to check him out. Um, what I think is going to happen with Kenyon Green is I think they're going to continue to bring him along uh, slowly. Uh, I would not be surprised if, in fact, he was the starter uh, week one. But everything that Nick Casario said today, and he was asked one question about Kenyon Green and addressed Kenyon Green one time, and it was a fairly lengthy answer. And I think there was a lot of important nuggets in there. And the first one being is Nick Casario said that 
Kenyon Green still has a lot of building to do, but he's in, currently in the building stages and made it a point to mention on a couple of different occasions in his answer the amount of time that he's missed and how valuable that was. And I thought it was interesting. If you go back and look at the film and maybe even you remember watching the 49ers game when Kenyon Green got in there, he started out like gangbusters. I mean, they were pulling him to the right into the opposite A gap, B gap. He was working up to the second level, looked really good. I think it was about his third or fourth series uh, with that second team offense that where they were working to the south end zone. And I want to say it was like mid late third quarter, but he looked totally different. Looked like he might have been gassed, hurt. I couldn't tell if it was a hand, a wrist, whatever. He was hunched over, moving around slowly in pain, getting back to the uh, to the huddle. And I think what happened is the Texans ended up going three and out on that drive, or it came down to where they were going to have to kick a field goal or something like that. Did he talk after that game? Did he say not, anything? He talked after the game. He talked after the game, but did not mention injury at all. Um, nobody asked about it. And I, I was actually talking to Paul Questenberry at the time, and I missed Kenyon Green personally. Um, if I would have been there, I would have asked about the injury because I don't know if a lot of people saw it. You're the only person I saw on Twitter even mention it. It, it okay. was interesting. Okay, so maybe I have something here. This is maybe a theory, but I think it supports what Nick Casario said today. Okay, he talked about him being in the building stages, that he needed to continue to build his stamina and endurance. And when Kenyon Green walked off the field under his own power after trainers had come out and checked on him, he went immediately to the medical tent, stayed in the medical tent probably for about five minutes, and then came back out, fist pounded somebody, sat on the bench, and then boom, by that time, uh, he was ready to go back in and in fact did and looked completely different. Again, he looked like Kenyon Green who had just walked onto the field and uh, was looking like he was going to kill people. Uh, that's the same Kenyon Green that we got to finish that game against the 49ers. He played 35 snaps that game, and I'd say about five of them were bad. I think Nick Casario and the entire coaching staff noticed that. Maybe he got some kind of Gatorade shot or some something going on to give him some energy or rehydration, something to maybe calm his heart rate down, whatever it was in that tent. He went back out and looked fine. I think that's something that he needs to work on because if you recall – wasn't much time, maybe a week from the time that he'd come back from uh, dealing with the concussion to the time that he started that, uh, or not started, but played in the 49ers game. He's a young guy and he missed a lot of valuable time. Maybe he's out of shape. Maybe he does get fatigued a little soon. I think they're going to end up platooning him and Justin McCray at left guard. Um, if you ask me today with a gun to my head, um, McCray, that's a position that he's played quite a bit this preseason as a veteran, has been helping actually mentor Kenyon Green at that position all camp long, has talked very highly. They've talked very highly about each other, uh, in fact. Um, and so I would just really pay attention to that ahead of week one. Lovey Smith, about a week and a half ago, I want to say it was on a Tuesday afternoon, a Tuesday morning after practice, made mention of Kenyon Green when asked if he was going to be a starter based on his practices. And this was before the 49er game. And Lovey Smith said, look, he's a number one pick. Normally, you would expect a guy to move into a spot like that. It'll play itself out, was exactly what Lovey Smith said. So I don't think he's expecting to start Kenyon Green 
week one, rather it be a ramping up process and naturally him moving into that role. And I think that's the best way to play this because the Texans are under no obligation to anyone and are in a position to where they don't have to rush any one player. And they've talked about that uh, a number of times this uh, preseason. Yeah, the one thing I would just say is the best thing for him might be if you do play him, you take him out on obvious passing downs. And I don't know how easy that is to do because those are a lot of times your third down. Shilling guys in and out in the middle of drives. I don't know if that's real easy to do with offensive linemen, but that's just one of the ideas that I was I, I was having. Also, Sean, I was going to ask you because, I mean, we talked a lot about these rookies, but a rookie that we haven't seen is Christian Harris, at least during the preseason. We also haven't seen Garrett Wallow, who, you know, was really impressive during camp, we heard, but we haven't seen him with the injuries. What do you think about their role and what it's going to be in game one. Man, it's, it's incredibly difficult. You know, I like in the, the situation with Chris, Christian Kirk, and look, it's a lot different. Christian Kirksey uh, and Garrett Wallow. Or Harris, know. Harris, not Kirksey, though. The, rook, the oh, rookie. Sorry. You're right. Christian Harris, the rookie, the third round pick, I believe. Um, you know, Harris and Wallow are similar for me to Anthony Auclair, the tight end, who was cut and may very well find his way back. Um, you know, on the practice squad or IR or something like that with the Texans. But I say similar because it's incredibly hard to make this team and to create any expectation when you're not on the field. You know, I, I don't know what to think of Christian Harris. I don't know what to think of Garrett Wallet because I haven't seen him. They've been watching from the sideline all camp and all preseason. And, and they've got um, good veterans at linebacker too. That's the other part about it. Oh my gosh, man. You know, like the linebacker group, Robert, I thought, you know, between Kirksey uh, Gruget Hill, Kevin Pierre, who Pierre Lewis, you know, who started last year and was number one on the depth chart of his linebacker position coming into camp. And as recently as 72 hours ago, you know, was cut loose. And I really liked him during this preseason. You factor in what Blake Cashman has been able to do uh, at the Mike position and his value that he brings on special teams. He made the team Cashman did, of course, but I said, man, this is a really deep group. And I know it's supposed to be even deeper when Harrison Wallow are healthy. But I mean, my gosh, I, I don't have any real expectation or have an idea of how they're going to use these guys because they simply haven't been on the field. And it's been mom. Nobody's really talked about. I've paid little attention to Christian Harris. He's been the most visible um, during practices when we've been out there. Um, looks like he's moving around well in great spirits. Um, doesn't look like it's anything serious. But, you know, I mean, my gosh, I, I feel okay about the linebacker core a little side eye in this one you know with Kevin Pierre Lewis being cut and uh not being a uh vital part of that linebacker group to start week one because I thought he'd earned it quite honestly um with his play in camp fullbacks don't get talked about much in the NFL anymore but Troy Harrison how about him winning the job this kid a walk-on at Central Michigan back in 2016 because of a back injury takes him two years to get on the field in college. Then he goes undrafted after being the MAC Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Yep, he was a linebacker and defensive end before the Texans converted him to fullback. And actually, Sean, Levy said his favorite play of the preseason was a nine-yard run by Pierce with Hairston blocking at fullback. Yeah, and uh, that's exactly what Nick Casario was asked about uh, during his Wednesday press conference and went at length um, just – I'll use the word praise because quite honestly, that's what it was in regards to Hairston. 
and had a great explanation in terms of why the Texans saw value in Hairston as a fullback um, and did a really good breakdown in terms of what fullbacks really are in the NFL, where they've come from. There's 2022, maybe this was the case 30 years ago in the 80s when fullbacks were much more prevalent in the NFL, but they bred those guys maybe. But now they typically come from the defensive side of the ball. They're mean, they're nasty, they're physical, they can move bodies. Um, and that's exactly what Troy Hairston showed. Uh, I would say in the latter stages of camp, to be quite honest with you, over the course of the last, boy, two and a half to three weeks, I think you really want to spot on this team because, you know, Paul Questenberry was looking like the guy uh, once they'd cut um, Janovich, um, you know, who didn't, you know, separate himself at all and, you know, never really uh, was even an afterthought when he was cut. But it came down to Hairston and Questenberry. Questenberry, I think, has been brought back on the practice squad. Hairston has earned that spot outright. He's been impressive. He's physical. He's a mauler. I mean, the, the, the energy that that guy plays with every single second really kind of reminds me of the energy that we'd seen from um, uh, the undrafted rookie nose tackle, um, Kurt Heinisch. You know, just watching those guys, I mean, it's bam, bam, bam. I mean, they're tough, physical, nasty. And Lovey Smith, he might not admit this. I don't know. I know he wants this Texans football team, if you want to say at least their offensive identity, to be a team that is going to be tough, nasty, and run the football right down your throat. No, that's what he wants. I would say that the identity right now is clearly the defense. That's, that's the strongest point of this team right now. If Hairston can bring an ounce of that physicality, that toughness, and we see success early on between Hairston and Pierce and with an offensive line, especially on that left side with Tunsil Green, whether it's be Green slash McCray and Britt at center, this could be nasty. Just uh, worth mentioning that Hairston, his dad was in the Phillies organization as a baseball player and then became a police officer. If you want to know where that toughness comes from, that's a, a lot to do with his dad. His mother's a, a teacher, I believe. So I, I know that's uh, about as tough as it gets out there too. Sean's been, been a teacher over the years. And then uh, you've got this guy that uh, is a fullback. And, and I just talked about it. Like the, the fullbacks, they, they don't get Matt Suey with the, Bears was the fullback for Walter Payton. Uh, Tim Wilson was the fullback for Earl Campbell. Tom Rathman, the old days for the 49ers and Roger. The fullbacks used to be like you would know who the fullbacks were blocking for the best running backs in the NFL. Now, if there's six of them out there that you can either name or forget about naming them, if there are six fullbacks on a team, it's a miracle. Yeah. Who's the, who's the great fullback uh, for the, the Tampa Bay Bucks back in the day? He always wore like the big high uh, neck pad. Oh, yeah. Um, I, was, I was trying to come up with him in my head. Is it Archuleta? Adam Archuleta? Uh, I don't know. That's a name, but I don't know if that's who you're talking about. Yeah, you have to look it up, man. Like, it's, it, that's in my mind for some reason. I could be totally wrong. But uh, whoever that guy was with the gigantic neck pad for the Bucks back in the day, he was really good. He might have been blocking, uh, lead blocking for uh, work done. Uh, back in the day. Of course, he might have even predated work done, uh, but he was really good. I remember him. And there was a couple of those guys, you know, when I was growing up. Um, fullback was was that prototypical, um, you know, football position in which you noticed 
because it bred toughness. It bred nasty. I mean, that's what those guys played with. And so, um, wouldn't Merrill Hodge was Merrill Hodge a fullback? He might have been, and I, I think I said six fullbacks on a team. I meant in the league, six fullbacks maybe meant, yeah. in the league. But yeah, Merrill Hodge, he might have been another one of those guys. It, it, yeah, it's killing me that I can't think of the guy with Tampa. I don't think it was Archuleta, but maybe I'm. I don't know. My brain's not working all that great. But uh, I'm looking it up right now because <laughs> it's going to bug me. The the barbers. Uh, one of the barbers was was the guy that he would have been blocking for, right? Mike Allstott. Mike Allstott. Allstott. Yeah, that's it. God, Adam Archuleta. What an idiot! Like, <laughs> I got. Probably, I don't know why I'm thinking of Adam Archuleta. I think he was a safety. I want to say, but I'm not yeah, positive. I probably wasn't even close. But uh, it was Mike Allstott who I was thinking of. Yeah, I was. The, well, the barbers. One of them, but not the running back, was in Tampa. The other uh, barber, the running back Tiki, of course, was uh, with the Giants. But uh, lots of good stuff on the Texans. Can't wait till. The, I mean, we're just eight days away, and it just or nine days away, or something, and it just feels like it's it's going to take forever to get here because you know we're not used to this long between the preseason and the first regular season game. But uh, I love so it. much. Yeah, thanks so much for doing this, Sean, and uh, just continue to bring us this great stuff. I mean, right there in the trenches with those guys, it's great. I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm enjoying being out there every day, uh, talking with the coaches, uh, players, and just being around the team. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's definitely a blessing, and uh, I, I kind of feel like, um, you know, it's it's a great feeling being on the ground floor uh, with a team and watching it build, regardless of how you got there. Um, because it is about this year and seeing who's going to be a part of the future. So it's going to be a lot of fun covering them this year. Last thing, just one more time for our listeners, go out there and definitely give us a comment on some of these videos and obviously subscribe to the YouTube channel really helps us a bunch. We'll talk to you again really soon. For sure. We're going to have a couple of really fantastic shows talking football next week and, and uh, previewing the Texans game as well. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.